Stephanie Taft and her family as they're mourning the loss of her dad and preparing to travel to the funeral this week. We pray that you would bring comfort, that you bring hope to her and to the entire family, Lord. We thank you that her dad knows you and is in your presence today because we believe your word to be true. And God, today we each come to you with our own issues, our own concerns, our own worries, our own joys and reasons to celebrate and give you thanks. We thank you that you're here. We open our hearts to you now. We ask that, God, as we go to your word today, you teach us more about who you are, who you've made us to be, who we are in you, what you're calling us to be. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in and through your word and in our hearts today as we are transformed more and more into the image of Christ. We give you thanks and praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat and... um, You can start to turn to 1 John chapter 2, if you would. That's where we're going to be reading together today. Uh, A couple of things I'd like to let you know about in your bulletin, just so you're aware of things that are happening around church and you don't miss out on anything. This week, there's a couple of big things happening. Um, Number one, it's the the deadline to get signed up for, for the youth winter camp. And so students in grades 6 through 12, if you're uh, in that category, um, make sure you stop by the youth table today to get registered and find out uh, what you need to do to sign up, fill out the, the waiver online and get your deposit paid. So um, stop by the youth table today and get signed up for that. Also this week, uh, we have a couple of opportunities to serve at the Operation Christmas Child Distribution Center here locally, Tuesday night and Thursday night. Uh, Kelly has some slots reserved, so talk to Kelly if you would like to be a part of that. Um, I know the youth are going on Thursday night, so if you're in the youth group, don't show up at the ministry center Thursday night. You'll be all alone. So you need to talk to Kelly and find out where uh, this location is. And parents, if you're transporting your students there, you may as well stay and get involved in the action and help out as well. So it would be a great opportunity to, to uh, serve and bless as a family and a, and a great ministry to, to be a part of. So Two, two opportunities on Tuesday and then also on Thursday night, and you can talk to Kelly for more info on that. Also, just a, a note, put it on your calendar, we have a Christmas Eve service right here at 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Great opportunity to invite a coworker, or a friend or a family member who maybe doesn't go to church typically, but a lot of people will put this into their kind of Christmas season plan, and it's a great opportunity for them to hear the gospel, hear about who Jesus is. And, and come and get their hearts in the right place for, for Christmas season. So I encourage you to be spreading the word about that. Um, at the end of the service today, we're going to pray for Sergio and Alma. So a couple of weeks ago, we had introduced Sergio as um, a prospective elder. The elders had uh, been going through a process of, of getting to know Sergio more and um, praying and, and discerning God's will and feeling confident to put him out as a future elder for our church. And so we've given you guys a couple weeks to, to ask any questions that you have, and today's the day to affirm that. And so we're going to be praying for them at the end of the service. So we'll, we'll look forward to that. All right, so today we're in 1 John chapter 2. We're, we're uh, continuing a series talking about one aspect of love that is uh, brought up in God's Word And it's this kind of agape love, this kind of gift love. It's not a love based on a family relationship. It's not a love based on people that you really like being around. It's not a love um, that's kind of rooted in, in friendship or affection 
or what was the other one we covered, or romantic love, okay? It's, it's different than those kinds of love. You know, people will say that agape love is the kind of love that God loves with. It's, a, it's an unconditional love. It's a gift love. Um, you know, the word agape in itself can't, can't stretch that big to carry all that meaning, and yet that, it is within that aspect of love. It's, it's a love that's uh, not really based so much on the recipient as it is on the giver. And so today we're, we're digging a little bit more into what is this agape love? How can we receive it and reflect it to God and radiate it out to others? Um, you can't really give a love that you haven't first received. And so uh, last week in Romans 5, we had a reminder that it was because of God's love for you that Jesus came and paid the price for your sin. So he gave you the love that you didn't deserve. And part of this gift love is the, the realization that you're not that lovable. I'm sorry, you know, that, that's really what you like to hear on a Sunday morning, right? You know, but this, it goes against some of our American self-esteem lingo that we all are used to and we enjoy probably, we probably maybe repeat. But there's some bad news here in Romans 5. We got a serious sin problem. And we're ugly and we're dead in sin. And yet in the midst of our greatest, deepest, darkest need, God steps in with love that fixes it and makes you right. And so that theme is continued here in 1 John. Really the whole, we could read all five chapters. There's love. God's kind of love is all throughout this book. I'd encourage you to do that. It would take you probably half an hour to just sit down and read the five chapters of 1 John this week, and it would really get you into understanding more or maybe opening your eyes again to what God's love is all about. But today we're going to read just the beginning of chapter 2. So let's read this together as we're looking at what, what is this gift love, how do we grow in it, how do we receive it, and then how do we begin to practice this ourselves. So here's what John, the author of 1 John, says here in verse 1. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. We'll come back to that big word in a little bit. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected by this. We know we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness 
and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. A lot, of, a lot of deep thoughts there, a lot about love. Uh, let it wash over you. We'll dig in a little bit uh, more, more specifically now, kind of go back, work our way back through this. But really, this teaching, it, it aligns well with what we read last week in Romans 5. In fact, at the beginning, we had a reminder of the basis of us receiving that love from God is not because we are so lovable, but it's because of the, the price that Jesus pays, the the word that's used here is propitiation. We'll dig into that in a moment. Uh, so it fits in well with Romans 5. It also fits in well with our study earlier this year of the Gospel of John. Right? We, we, uh, we learned in John's Gospel that God so loved the world or God loved the world in this way that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16, that same feeling or idea is here that it was because of love that Jesus came and Jesus is the one who makes us right with God. That's his expression of love to a world that's perishing. So here in this um, beginning here of chapter 2, there's some words that are, are legal words, right? So um, there's the word advocate, that the word in Greek is, is parakletos. It's somebody who comes alongside you. It's the word that is used of the Holy Spirit in John's gospel. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside you. He's a counselor. He's a comforter. One who comes alongside, that's the word that's used here. Jesus is like that person who comes alongside us. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll, I can share a little bit of detail. I've got to be careful on what I say because of orders from a judge. Um, but I showed up on Tuesday for a jury summons, and I was one of the lucky 13 selected to serve. So all I can legally say to you is that I'm serving as a juror on a criminal trial that enters day five tomorrow. So I'm right in the middle of this, and that's all I can say about it until after a verdict is reached. But I will generically speak to you of just courtrooms in general, because we've all had that life experience. Maybe you've watched some crime TV or you've, you've gotten the privilege of being in a courtroom yourself in some capacity, <laughs> right? So, you know, when you think of a courtroom, um, you know, you got the jury box, you got the, the judge who's presiding over the, the proceedings there. 
You've got a prosecution uh, with some uh, attorneys sitting there. You've got the defense with some more attorneys and a defendant. You've got a witness stand. Um, and there's probably some other people around, you know, bailiffs and clerks and whatnot. The, the person in the room that, that, that you would picture in this first verse, the advocate, it would be as if you're the defendant, but you've got an attorney sitting right next to you that's on your team, that's on your side, that's, that's speaking on your behalf. And they've got all the information they need. You, you know you're not guilty. Uh, and this person is going to testify on your behalf, right? That's, that's kind of the picture here. The analogy breaks down a little bit, though, because in our case, we are guilty. And we've got an advocate sitting ne- next to us who's about to make a move that's going to declare you not guilty. So this is an even better advocate than a defense attorney because this advocate has the power and the ability to undo the crime that you've committed. Uh, There's another word here, propitiation. How many of you have used that word already today at some point? Okay. (laughs) Mike, you've got issues. Okay. (laughs) All right. So this this is not a word we commonly use. If you haven't used this word recently or come across it, rest easy. It's only in the Bible twice. So it's here in chapter 2 and then it's later in 1 John chapter 4. So it's in this book of the Bible only. Um, Again, sometimes our analogies break down. So when you start thinking about what's our sin problem, how does God express love, what does Jesus do to intervene in this sin problem that we have? If you think of an American courtroom scene, it's, the analogy is going to break down. Because here, that word propitiation, it means, um, it means someone that you've wronged, but now you're paying them in some way to make it right. The best, simplest analogy I could think of is if I really mess up and uh, forget our anniversary... Now I'm going out, I'm buying a card and a box of chocolates and some flowers. The, all of those things that I'm giving to my wife to try to undo the wrong that I did would be propitiation. So it would be a propitiatory offering to my wife to try to say, can we forget that that ever happened? Can, we, can, this, can this, what I'm giving you, what I'm doing now, can that undo the wrong that I did back then? So you see how that doesn't really work in the, in the courtroom scene, right? Because in a courtroom, if the judge has any connection to the defendant, what do we call that? Conflict of interest, right? And so that judge would not be able to preside over the, over the trial. So in a courtroom, the, the judge cannot have anything personally vested in this situation. But, but in this scene, in 1 John, you, the sinner have sinned against the one who is ultimately going to render judgment in this case. The person that has been wronged and hurt by your sin is God. So it's not just a generic, general, you know, sinful condition or a crime that you've committed, but it's a crime against God that now needs to be fixed. There needs to be recompense made. There needs to be and offering a sacrifice that would be equal to the crime. 
Now, the, the really bad news is you're not capable of that kind of propitiation, right? Your, you know, even your death would not be sufficient to make you right with God in, in, in this way. Um, well, I guess, I guess it would. <laughs> you got the death penalty. The problem is you would like to have eternal life, right? You know, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be eternally separated from God as the consequence of your sin. And so Jesus steps in and he says, I will be that payment that you don't have to make. I will be the propitiation. So th- this is, uh, you know, there, there is some help in thinking of the, the, what I've been through in the last, you know, four days and, and going into day five or what maybe you've experienced in a courtroom, except it's a little bit different in, in the court of God. He's the one that we have sinned against. Um, let me tell you, I, I've seen in working with husbands and wives as a pastor that our sin issues as spouses, there's one person on the planet that is most affected by our sin, and it's our spouse. This is the person that knows you the most, is with you the most, loves you the most, sees you for who you are. If you struggle with uh, violent anger, your spouse is going to experience that personally, not just in a detached, objective way. If you struggle with lust, your spouse is going to be impacted and affected by that sin issue. If it's greed, if it's self-centeredness, whatever your sin issue is, it's going to affect personally your spouse. So they're not going to just be watching you in some detached, objective way, like, oh, my poor husband, look at how he's struggling with the sin issue. Um, I can have some compassion for him. I can maybe give him some advice, probably some unsolicited advice more often than he'd like to hear. No, this is going to affect you personally, wives. And conversely, her sin, guys, is going to come to affect you personally. And so in this way, we can kind of identify with what's happening here in this scene at the beginning of of 1 John chapter 2. Our sin doesn't just affect God in some detached, objective way, like, oh, here's a human that I created, they're sinning, how unfortunate. No, our sin personally affects the holy God who made us in his image and created us to be in relationship with him and his motivation was love and our sin is the barrier to that love being given and received. Okay, so, so again, the thing with agape love, it's, it's fun to talk about all the aspects of, oh, God loves you and he gives it to us freely and it's not based on what you deserve and but, but first, let's really make sure we understand the bad news of this agape love. The bad news is we have a sin problem, and it's a barrier to God. Now let's get over to the good news and, and kind of dwell in that the rest of the day, okay? We'll get that behind us. The good news is that God loves you. The good news is that God loved you enough that he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for your sin. The good news is that his love was persistent, that even when you didn't deserve it and you were ugly and unlovable, he said, I'm going to love this one. This is a kind of love that's not because you were already a son or a daughter. It's an adoption kind of love. It says, I picked this one out to love. And that's what he did for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he brings you close to himself. He welcomes you in. What are you going to do with that? Well, I hope that you're going to do everything that follows these, this intro to, to 1 John chapter 2, that now you're going to receive that love 
and then reflect it to him and radiate it out to the people that he's put in your life. So in verse 3, it says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Um, Is there anybody in the room that would admit, like me, to bristling a little bit to the connection between love and obeying commandments? Is there any other rebellious people in the room? Okay. Like, like at first blush, that, that one can be a little bit hard to, to grab a hold of, to say, if you love me, you will do what I command you to do. Like that, we've maybe had some negative vibes in, in our human interactions when it comes to that sort of a sentiment. Um, so he, he goes on to unpack it. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. That word perfected, I think it's, it's an unfortunate uh, word um, to, in, this, in this way. You'll see it in the Bible. Anytime the word perfected pops up, it's probably the word telos. Um, it means like the end goal, completion, maturity, perfection. So there's a verse in one of the Gospels that says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The best visual picture I have of what this word means is a, is a nice yellow ripe banana. Okay, so you know, you're looking on the, on the kitchen counter in that fruit bowl. That is a perfect banana. It doesn't mean that in comparison to every other banana that's ever lived, this is the pristine banana. This is the epitome of banananess. No, it means this banana has achieved the end goal that it was created for. It wasn't you know, intended to, to die on the vine as a, as a hard, woody, green banana, you know, or to make it all the way to sprouts and kind of be this bruised up, nasty banana that, that, that got damaged before it ripened. Like the, <laughs> a banana bread banana, right? Uh, maybe, maybe that's the perfect banana with some brown spots on there, right? You know, but, but the, the perfect, complete, mature final destiny is what this word means. So if you want the love of God to reach its completion in you, to bring forth the full mature fruit that's intended in your life, to be perfected in you, completed in you, then how do you do that? If that's your desire when it comes to this gift love that God started on the cross with Jesus' sacrifice and you in mind, and you want that love to really complete its work within you, well, then John says, keep his commandments. Keep his word. Walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Does that make sense? Is it, is it getting a little bit easier to grab a hold of that now? Where you're saying, okay, yeah, I, I can see that. If He is the holy, loving, creator, powerful God that knew every day of my life before a single one came to be, knew my sin problem was preventing me from walking in that plan that he had, sent his son Jesus to cleanse me and be the sacrifice that was needed to make me right with him and allow me to receive his love, then naturally I'm going to go to him and say, God, who am I? How am I to walk in this world I want to really live out that love in my daily practice. I want to put my feet in those same footprints that Jesus walked in and be like who he is. 
so that I can really know what this love is. So for you, you know, if you tried having a form of Christianity that was a, just a ticket to heaven kind of Christianity, John's saying, no, no, you're missing out. This isn't a, Christ, a, a, a ticket to heaven kind of religious experience. I, 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 I prayed a sinner's prayer back then. I'm good to go. You know, there's more growth and depth and more excitement and more love to be received and reciprocated and reflected in the days and weeks and years to come. Don't miss out. Walk in the same way that he walked. And so then he goes into a discussion of new and old commandments. Really here in 1 John, there's echoes of things that we've seen all throughout God's word. Um, you know, here in, in verse 7, he's talking about from the beginning. Uh, and there was a new commandment. There's an old commandment. It's really kind of the same commandment continued on, but in a new way. Um, there's discussion of here in, in chapter 1, if you go back and look, talking about darkness and the true light. God is light. Verse 7 there of chapter 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, then if you, if you look back earlier, the author of the epistle of John also wrote John's gospel. There's a lot of echoes there. Back in John chapter 1, remember how that started out? In the beginning was the word. If you skip down to verse 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Echoes there of Genesis 1, way at the beginning of your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And remember, what, what did he say on the first day of creation? Let there be light. So we're seeing themes of this creative God who created everything by speaking into existence Light out of darkness. That same God sent his son Jesus, the word, who is the life and the light that we need. And that's what we're reading about here in 1 John once again. It's, it's, an, it's an old thing that God's been doing all along, but there's a new thing happening today. And there's a continuation with this theme of the creator bringing life, bringing light, inviting us to not walk in darkness, but to move into the light. The, the, one of the barriers that we've seen here at the beginning of 1 John chapter 2, the first barrier to gift love, is when we're really just not walking in Jesus' steps. You know, we're not walking the talk. We're talking about the love of God, but we're not living it out. And so the challenge to us is to practice this gift love in our marriages, in our families, in our church, in our interactions with our neighbors, that we be living out the same kind of love that we saw Jesus using and demonstrating. And so really, that's just a pep talk for you today. You know, I can't help you do that. I can spur you on to love and good deeds. I can, we can challenge one another when we see somebody not practicing this and say, hey, you know, is that walking in Jesus' steps what you just said or did? We should be doing that for one another in love. Um, we can pray for one another and say, God, help them to walk in Jesus' steps and not to just say, I know him, 
but to be a liar who doesn't obey his commands or know his word and follow his word. So we can encourage one another, pray for one another, challenge one another, but really it's God who does this work in a person's heart. And it's really you and I who either choose to submit ourselves to him or to persist in our own stubbornness, arrogance, uh, kind of keep going down the same steps that I've been walking prior to Jesus reaching out to me in love. And so really the beginning here is just an encouragement. Come to him with humility. Come to him with submission and openness. Come to him saying, yeah, I need that daily example of what are the footprints of Jesus because that's where I want to walk today. And that's the place where true light is. So how does that get practical? Well, in verse 9, it gets real practical. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Another barrier to gift love is not radiating that love out to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this word here, um, brothers, it's not specifically you know, restricted to only your biological male siblings. Okay? This is a generic word that it would be like in Spanish you would say hermanos. That if you have brothers and sisters, you would generically use that word to talk kind of like siblings, we would say in English, right? Um, so this word, you, your version may actually say, whoever hates his brother or sister. And that would be a perfectly good translation into English. So when you see the, just the word brother here, don't, don't you know, limit your thinking to only your brothers. Also, this word brother is a code word for people within the body of Christ. Okay, this is not a general, like, everybody on the planet kind of a word. When you see, there's some other code words like that. One another is another one of those phrases. Actually, little children is another one. These are instructions given to life within the body of Christ. So does this mean, you know, you don't have to love your neighbor? No, it just means that that's not... The, the, the uh, emphasis of this passage, if you want to get that emphasis, go back and read the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is a passage that's giving instructions to love, practicing gift love within the body of Christ. And so getting real practical, it's saying, uh, you know, that if you claim that you're in the light, and yet you're saying, yes, I'm in God's light, this is so awesome, but I hate some of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I just can't stand them. I loathe them. They rub me the wrong way. They are just frankly unlovable. Well, duh. D did you think you were lovable? <laughs> right? I mean, th this is, th there's a, there's a wake-up call here as we continue on into this discussion of God's love. Um, you know, I'd say subtly, you know, maybe just that humility of saying, yeah, God loved me while I was unlovable. Why am I holding my brother or sister in Christ to a higher standard? And expecting that, you know, once they are lovable, then I'm going to give God's love to them. No, let's, let's bring that humility 
to, um, to our relationships with one another and give that gift love freely because God loved you and I when we were unlovable. And if I'm going to commit to walking in Jesus' steps and walking in the light, then I'm going to begin by making that commitment to love you. No matter uh, whether you deserve it or not, whether you uh, are super lovable or friendly or, or we have something in common, but just because I want to obey and practice what he commands. And I, and I pray that you will join me in making that your commitment this week. You know, sometimes it means forgiving. Sometimes it means reconciling. Uh, he, gets, he gets practical here in the, in the uh, verses 12 through 14. Talking to specific groups within the church, I would say these apply to all of us. Okay? In some ways, we're all little children, fathers, and young men needing these instructions here, right? Remember that you, your sins are forgiven. Remember the one who you know because he's been with you from the beginning. Remember that you've overcome the evil one. Don't continue to follow the paths of the evil one. Remember, once again, that he is with you from the beginning, that you're strong, that the word of God abides in you, that you've overcome the evil one. And there's a practical way of living this out. It's in our interactions with one another. Um, just as a marriage, Ephesians 5 tells us that the purpose of marriage is to depict the gospel. You know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's a picture for the watching world looking in and going, what is it to be a follower of Jesus? We get the opportunity to begin by practicing that in our own families. The next circle, the next sphere is within this church right here. That the world's looking in going, what is it to follow Jesus? And we need to give them a picture of that love that God has in our preferring one another. In our looking out not only for our own interests, but to the interests of one another. In our coming not to be served, but to serve. Following in Jesus' footsteps in, as we interact with one another. Using the gifts God has given us to edify and build one another up. Not getting into competing and comparing, but rather serving and blessing. And as we do that, we're walking out the footsteps of Jesus. We're walking in the light. So a barrier to gift love is just failing to put it into practice. In your family, in your church, in the one another box. And if you're missing out on that, you're, you're stagnating on your receiving and reflecting and radiating the love of God. So I encourage you, make a commitment to say, you know, I've been loved when I was unlovable and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love the unlovable people in my, in my church, in my family, because that's what God has called me to do and he's going to give me the strength I need and there's going to be something beautiful that happens as I obey that command and follow, pass on that love. So the last uh, little section that, that we're going to look at today is verses 15 through 17. And it says there, it starts out with a shocking phrase, do not love the world. Wait a minute. D didn't, didn't we just refer back to John 3.16 where God so loved the world? Do not love the world. Maybe that's the only verse that you really like today. Yeah, Awesome. That was the one that really spoke to me. You know, that's what I'm going to take out of here. Do not love the world. I hate you all. 
Well, what's he talking about here? Well, we looked at, when we were going through the Gospel of John, that phrase, the world, came up a bunch of times. And most often, John was using the world in a way to mean the corrupt moral order in active opposition to God. Okay, so he's not talking about, you know, do not love the mountains, do not love the, the rivers and the, and the streams and the, the plains, you know, the, the, the grassy plains of, of Kansas. You know, he's not talking about the physical earth that we're on. He's saying, do not love this whole system of being and thinking and doing that is in opposition to God. So, so do not love the world or the things in the world. That means don't go after, you know, don't have your affection flowing toward the corrupt moral order in active opposition to the holy God. And the reality is, whatever we, whatever we love and worship, we start to become more like that and reflect that reality, right? So if our love is going after the world, we're going to become more and more worldly. Whereas if our love is for God and the things of God, and that's what we're worshiping, we become more like him over time. That's what John is saying here. Walk in the steps of Jesus. You know, you didn't become Jesus on the day that you received the gift of salvation. You started a process of becoming like Jesus on that day. Keep walking it out. Stay in the light. Don't go back to that dark place. Don't let your affections go after the things of this world. Go after the things of God. Let me read you a great quote uh, that I came across this week. Uh, this is from the book Surprised by Hope. And he says this, One of the primary laws of human life is that you become like what you worship. What's more, you reflect what you worship, not only to the object itself, but also outward to the world around. Those who worship money increasingly define themselves in terms of it and increasingly treat other people as creditors, debtors, partners, or customers rather than as human beings. Those who worship sex define themselves in terms of it, their preferences, their practices, their past histories, and increasingly treat other people as actual or potential sex objects. Those who worship power define themselves in terms of it and treat other people as either collaborators, competitors, or pawns. These and many other forms of idolatry combine in a thousand ways, all of them damaging to the image-bearing quality of the people concerned and of those whose lives they touch. I think that's a great picture of what John is talking about when he says, do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If you are chasing after the things of the world, like for example, money, sex, power, or any other kind of idolatry, that's where your affection is going. You begin to see other people through that lens, treat them accordingly. And all of that would fit under the category of walking in the darkness. And God is telling us in his word today, don't love the world or the things in the world. If that's where your love and affection is going, 
then the Father's love is really not taking hold in you. It's not in you. You're not allowing that love, that pure love, to be the, the central place where your worship is directed. Now, now the, the good news that would, that would oppose this bad news that we read is that if your love and worship is flowing toward Him, guess what happens? That begins to affect the way that you relate to other people around you. It, it starts to change your heart and you will increasingly define other people as people created in God's image. Sinners in need of a Savior. People without hope in need of God's hope. Fellow believers that you get to practice the love of God on. And that's, that will begin to change the way that you see the people around you. As you walk in that love and you start to think, you know, all this stuff in this world, it's passing away. It's not going to last. This world and its desires are passing away. And you start to get a, a better grasp on what's really going to remain. What's going to be around after this grass-fading, flower-withering world melts away? The holy, loving God who created you in His image and made a way for you to be with Him and invites you to receive and reciprocate and reflect that love. Give up that affection you have for dead and dying things. It's not doing you any good. It's really pretty repugnant when you look at it. When you, when you consider that quote that I read and you start thinking, yeah, man, my love for that stuff, it's not helping anyone, myself or anyone around me. And so it shouldn't be that hard to say, okay, God, I release that to you. And I want, to, I want to love the giver of life. I want to walk in his love. And so today, you know, there, there's some uh, response required on our part, right? Like we can't just hear words like this and go, yeah, that's a good, those are some good thoughts. I mean, there's some action required that we, in a new way, make a commitment to say, yeah, God, I don't want to just pay lip service to you. Lord, I, I want that love that you've given me to affect my relationships within the body of Christ. Lord, I, I want to I release my affection for the things of this earth and instead pour all my love and affection toward you alone. Help me in all three of those categories. And so if you need some help, like I do, would you join me in prayer as we go, go to him for the strength that we need? God, we thank you for the reminder of your love today. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you that your love is never ending. And today, God, I pray for those that need a reminder of your love that you'd pour that out in a fresh way. God, uh, we, we each resolve to not walk in darkness, but to walk in light. Help us to practice this love in our relationships with one another. God, we relinquish our love for the things of this earth this world. Lord, may the full flow of our love be directed to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite Sergio and Alma to come on up. I, I just remembered I was supposed to release you guys so you could go do the handbell choir. But Sorry, I messed up your day there.
Uh, but, but let's pray for them and, and uh, give thanks to God as, as they're stepping into a role as, as shepherds of the flock. And this is kind of our opportunity as a, as a body to say, you know, we're going to follow your lead as you follow after Christ. And so uh, let's, let's lift them up before the Lord today. God, we thank you for, for Sergio and Alma. Thank you for their faithfulness as, as a husband and wife, as parents, as they've been raising their children to know you. Lord, and, and all those requirements that are spelled out in your word for those who uh, lead your people, God, having a good reputation, um, managing their own household well, not easily angered, not given to drunkenness. Thank you, Lord, that you're continuing to grow uh, their abilities, able to teach, Lord, knowing your words so that they can pass it on to others. And God, as they, as they grow in this position, Lord, we pray that you'd help us as a, a church to, to follow their lead, to encourage them, to not make their uh, job a burden or a difficulty, but to make it a joy. Lord, we pray that you'd give, them, uh, give Sergio wisdom as an elder, give Alma uh, the ability to encourage him and love him through the process, God. And we just affirm, Lord, your call on Sergio's life. We ask that you continue to strengthen him uh, for this commitment, Lord, to serve our body. We thank you for his willingness to serve, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We sing out as we go. How great is our God that this song.